millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Spark London. We tell true stories. We tell them live. And we tell them all across London. This story was told by Justin Corner in December 2008. My virtual reality was spending a year on board a 68-foot yacht. I'd signed up with a company to sail around the world. I wasn't much of a sailor, but for some reason it had always been one of those things I'd wanted to do. I think I imagined beautiful sunsets, great food, seeing the world. Romance of the ocean, wind, man alone with the elements. It all seemed a great idea. And boy, did I love the attention I got when asked what I did and could announce dramatically, I was about to sail around the world. <laughs> Except that somehow I'd signed up for a round-the-world yacht race. And the reality of racing is completely different from my ideas of sailing. I found out on the first day of training that it's awful. <laughs> there were ten of us crewing as we went out into the English Channel. Freezing cold, pouring with rain, a force eight gale. The boat was getting thrown all over the place with water pouring over the deck and washing us down the boat every time we went we ventured forward at the mast. Everyone was throwing up, and I, along with everyone else, was just white knuckling it, holding on for dear life, fully expecting to die any moment. And they were trying to teach us how to race, how to change the sails, put in reefs, tack, jibe none of which I knew what it meant when I was first on that, on that first day. I was soaked through, getting bashed every minute. It was a mass of cuts, bruises and rope burns by the end of the day. I simply couldn't understand why anyone would do this. I know lots of people who seem to love sailing. What was I missing? I was relieved I could back out of this adventure after the first week of training, so I figured I might as well stick it out for the first week and see if I could find a redeeming feature. The next day it was Force 9. The day after that, just as bad again. I really wasn't finding it any easier. Then we slept and sailed through the night, and I found out just how unbelievably primitive the accommodation was. It didn't help. I asked everyone I could find, why do you do this? Most of the answers did nothing for me. Love of the ocean? Nope. Freedom from the things of man? No, not that either. I was loving the things of man right now. <laughs> Independence. Hmm, and constant pain. Not a good deal. <clears throat> then I found Kent Castles. He's an American skipper, former Green Beret. He'd done two tours in Vietnam. He said, Justin, 
It's about manly men doing manly things in a manly way with other men. <laughs> now, as ridiculous as that sounds, it actually struck a chord. <laughs> I've never really had to do anything tough. In a private school, university, white-collar career. Of course, I thought I was tough. But the idea of proving that I was actually a man and tough enough to do this was quite attractive. I still didn't love the sailing. But then the one thing that did grow on me was once we started doing some friendly racing against the other boats during training. At heart, I've always been fiercely competitive, probably a bit too competitive. And I started to wonder whether we could win this thing. Even if I didn't get that whole love of the ocean thing. If it was something we could win, that could keep me interested. It started as a thought, but quick, quickly turned into a bit of an obsession. Me coming up with all sorts of reasons why we would win this thing. And why it could be me that made the difference. <laughs> I didn't know anything about sailing, but I teach psychology for a living. Communications, peak performance, team spirit, motivation, conflict handling. And that's what I thought the race was going to be about. The boats were made up by as many as 17 amateur crew with only the captain as the professional. Realised pretty quickly, everyone was going to be constantly exhausted and grumpy. So this race would be the ultimate test of what I knew. If I was any good at my job, we'd have an advantage over every other boat. If we won, it would be the ultimate affirmation. So on September 16th last year, we lined up against the nine other boats on a cold, blustery Liverpool day. I had high hopes and at least as high expectations. What I didn't figure on was just how incompetent our skipper was. He was our captain, but also our navigator and tactician. And within 10 days of the first race to Brazil, he put us into every no-wind area possible. We were dead last, at least two days behind the leaders, and a good 200 miles behind the second-to-last boat. The morale, as you can imagine, was dire. And for me, given I didn't really like the sailing part of it, without the drive and challenge of competing in this race, Everything was just plain unpleasant. I was really wondering what the hell I was doing out there. Eventually, we found some wind. It was a beautiful sunny day. We were passing through the Cape Verde Islands. We were going fast. Still going to come last by hundreds of miles, but at least we'd get to Brazil one day. The wind continued to build. The boat was hitting new records for speed, occasionally touching 16 or 17 knots, which on a 46-ton yacht feels like you're doing about 90 in a car. It's thrilling. Still under control, but if anything goes wrong, it's going to be bad. My team had just finished our watch. we come below for some lunch. Just as we'd finished, the boat suddenly rocked to the right. Then it rocked left. Then it suddenly veered left and sat all the way on its right, on its side, and stayed there. I was holding myself up, just standing on my feet on the wall. I knew this couldn't be good. There was a lot of noise upstairs, yelling, swearing. People were clearly panicked and scared. My friend Aiden went up the companionway. Fuck, he said. And he didn't swear much. Then we heard something snap. Fuck! He dashed on the deck and I followed immediately after him. The boat had broached. Now, essentially what that means is that we'd had too much sail up for the conditions. The boat had got out of control, such that the wind pushed the boat over and had kept it pinned there. By the time I got up the stairs, it was somewhat upright again, but the sight was surreal. 
I didn't actually burst into tears at that moment. I guess because I was in shock. But I will always remember that feeling. It was a total despondency as I looked at carnage. Our race was over. The idea of another nine and a half months of this, for no purpose, was devastating. And I was close to despair. Because we destroyed our boat. Our principal downwind sail was flapping violently in the wind, unattached to the boat except for a connection at the mast. It had a massive hole through the middle and it was shredded down both sides. There was a 15-foot aluminium pole stuck straight out from the mast that was, to which the downwind sail was supposed to be attached, but it had snapped in two like a twig. The two halves were just dangling in the wind, with sharp edges threatening to slice anyone to pieces who went forwards. Our mainsail had come all the way down, still attached to the boat, but dangling in the water. All the wires down the right-hand side to keep us in the boat had disappeared. There were ropes everywhere, tangled in a monstrous spider's web. It was over. Somehow we managed to get the boat under control over the next three hours. All the broken bits were retrieved and stored below. Mainsail was brought back onto deck, ropes got sorted out. And we put up a single sail to get us through the night while we calmed down and considered how to go on. Just a couple of days later, I found myself in my bunk in pieces. It wasn't just tears, but an absolutely helpless, uncontrollable, relentless, from the bottom of my soul, chest-heaving sobbing. I guess it was a sense of pointless effort. That this was going to be the hardest, most painful thing I'd ever do, and yet for nothing. We couldn't win this race. We couldn't even compete for any place other than last. We had a useless skipper and a broken boat. I was exhausted, probably in delayed shock. I felt I too was broken. That was it. There was nothing left. We'd been told there would be tough moments and we'd be surprised by the hidden reserves within ourselves. But I was down at that bottom and there was nothing there. I was angry with myself for doing this thing, for being wrong about it for being weak, for failing, for not being tough enough, for being beaten, for wasting a year of my life on a pipe dream which I didn't even know anything about. I thought about what that American skipper had said. It was a shame because it was clear I wasn't up to it. I hope that's what people mean when they refer to hitting bottom, because I hope there's nowhere lower to go. My virtual reality had turned into a virtual hell. I seriously considered getting off the boat in Brazil and quitting the race. In spite of the shame I'd feel, couldn't see any point continuing when it was this miserable. Anyway, we eventually made it to Brazil, where it turns out it's amazing how much you can fix on a boat. <laughs> we got the sewing machines out, we stitched and stitched around the clock to put our sails back together. Pole got fixed, we got new guard wires. Amazingly, we got a new captain. Somewhere during that week, I decided to keep going a bit longer. Now, there were many more adventures over the next nine months some of which were probably a lot hairier than that day off Cape Verde. But nothing else, got me down, nothing else got me down again that badly. I think that to keep going, I had no choice but to change. It wasn't a conscious decision, but something inside just got stronger and got tougher. To just deal with the adversity, get through each day trying to enjoy the few nice moments that would crop up occasionally. Whether it was whales jumping, dolphins playing, a full moon... Crystal clear, starry nights. Or the camaraderie on the foredeck we got while we were being pounded during manoeuvre. And the person I ended up as is different. To be honest, doesn't completely understand how I got so down, even though I do remember it very clearly. 
I feel sort of like a friend. I'm sympathetic to what happened, but no longer able to empathise. In any event, by the time we did finally get back to Liverpool, it turned out I'd been quite wrong to believe our race was over. Bit by bit, somehow we turned things around. We kept improving our overall position until we returned as the unlikely winners of the race. How did we pull it off? Well, that's another story. <laughs> For more stories, head to sparklondon.com. Spark London is produced by Joanna Yates with audio production by Matt Hill at rethinkdaily.co.uk. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.